This is again a quote from Grudem. Any course on Christian ethics should aim not only at imparting greater understanding of right and wrong conduct, but also at personal transformation, so that each student will develop more Christ-like character through the course and will become more like Christ. So the aim is to glorify God. The aim is to instill character in keeping with that at personal transformation, again, by God's grace. You're listening to Life in Christ, a podcast of The Landing Church here in Duluth, Minnesota. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm one of the elders and serve on the pastoral staff here at The Landing. With me today is another one of our elders, Kevin Johnson. Welcome, Kevin, to Life in Christ. Thank you. Excited to be here. It's so joyful to talk with you and the other elders about the content that is really the substance of this season's episodes of Life in Christ. We've been talking about Christian ethics from the book authored by a favorite author of many of us, Dr. Wayne Grudem. Wayne Grudem wrote Christian Ethics. It's a massive book, comprehensive, broad, uh, in-depth, just a tremendous resource. If you're ever interested in the Christian life or answers to Christian ethics questions, consult Dr. Wayne Grudem's Christian Ethics book. It was written within the last few years We took that book as elders, and we divided up the chapters, assigning them to various elders to be presented at an adult Sunday school format. What was it like when you presented this chapter, specifically the aim of Christian ethics? How did that go for you, Kevin, recently as you presented it? I'd say it was a joy-giving time as I was studying for, reading through afresh that chapter. I think that if anyone was kind of tracking the chronology of the book, this doesn't fall in order of how we're recording the podcast, how we present in the Sunday School. And really the purpose of that was intentional. We talked, as a, uh, you and I actually, a couple yep. months prior to start a Sunday School, what would fit right in this niche here as we looked at week seven of our study and um, looking at what is the whole reason for doing this as we mm-hmm. study the different topics having like, what is the grand purpose. And um, so trying to give people a pause, a break, give them some kind of reorientation to what's the, the aim here. And so it was a, it was encouraging to me as we talked about the aim of Christian ethics, which I'm kind of dancing around so I don't jump ahead. But That's it, great. Yeah. Well, the aim of Christian ethics, that's the title of our conversation today and the title of this uh, chapter and section in Grudem. I think it's extremely helpful because sometimes it can feel confusing when you begin to talk about Christian ethics, you can either fall into the trap on the one hand of getting so caught up in the minutia and almost lose the sense of what is this discussion for. You can get specifically narrowed in on behavior and not think broad picture, what's going on here? What is God doing here in my life through this? The other way that you can get off track is by feeling like the content of Christian ethics is too specific, and so we want to flee from the specifics and get so broad as to not provide any guidance or help. And people are left with a real wonderment and puzzlement about how to answer life questions, especially questions that the Bible has plenty to say on. Right. So I'm thrilled by a reorientation on the aim of Christian ethics. Uh, you began the session with... What is the aim of the faith family at the landing or any of Christ redeemed studying Christian ethics? Well, that applies to everybody listening to us right now. What is the aim of Christian ethics for believers? Well, the way we answered that in our class, and Gruden certainly was the source in this, and obviously the Bible is the ultimate source of that, which our goal in studying biblical ethics necessarily aligns with humanity's design purposes. And um, 
so we'd have to back back pedal a little bit and look at well, what do we see here? Well, there's several verses that we cited in the class, and one was Isaiah forty three seven. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. And then there's dozens and dozens of verses, but two others that I cited, uh, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6, and verse 12 as well. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, and skipping ahead to 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then the last verse that I referenced was 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we're hearing that glory regularly over and over, and that's very much in line if people are historic with, uh, are familiar with historic documents like the Westminster Catechism, larger yeah. catechism. Yeah. That's, that's the very first question that we tackle right. as Christian believers, our forefathers, which is, what is the chief and highest end of man? Which is? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him forever. I love proclaiming that. Amen and amen. That's the Westminster Confession, but that's also plain, clear teaching from the Bible. And yet, what's so benefit? And this is where the benefit really begins to sink in. We, you go on to ask the question, what does that really mean? What does it really mean to glorify God? Because I think a lot of people would, would, would cheer that on. They'd raise their hand and they'd say, yes, I want to live for the glory of God. But what does that actually mean? Well, yeah, and in my class, I said, my 10-year-old son, he comes to me and says, oh, what an insightful young man he yes, is, right? He's yes. asking, Dad, what does it mean to glorify God? <laughs> and I adjust my halo and I share with him yeah, yeah, what that means. Right. Or a new that's Christian. It. I mean, it's, it's language, it's parlance we don't talk about in, in our workplace, at the library, at the restaurant. So what does it mean? So we tried to get in the specifics of that, and, and Grudem obviously does as well. It's not a checklist. Right, uh, but he breaks it down into three broad categories, and that's one: the character that glorifies God; two, results that glorify God; and three, behavior that mm. glorifies God. Mm-hmm. So, character, results, behavior. And you did a nice job starting our very study on ethics, talking about well, there's this area of study of ethics that happens on stu- focus on virtue. Well, it's a virtue all by itself. Uh, becomes uh, a pursuit in in really self actualization, self self promotion, uh, self development. But character that uh, rests on the grace of God. I mean, we want to begin and and say over and over, we're talking as forgiven believers and as grace filled believers, and the power and the authority and the confidence that we have in building character, pursuing results. Uh, adopting certain behaviors are are not efforts of adding to our salvation. Hmm. They're not efforts of human virtue added on to Christ's future virtue. They are not falling into the Galatian heresy where we needed to add religious behavior or rights on top of all that Christ has done for us. What we're saying is, what Grudem is saying, what historic Christianity says, and what the Bible teaches, is that these elements, character, results, and behavior, are the fruit that always bursts forth like apples from an apple tree in the life of a genuine, grace-filled believer. Right. That's what we're saying. So we're saying whether whether it's the forgiveness of sin by grace or the power of grace to produce the fruit of righteousness, it's all of grace, which means it's all of Christ. Right. Well, th- when we talk about Christ-like character, that's a good uh, caution, a good kind of reorientation. Uh, where we jumped in next was Romans 8.29, saying that this is the natural outworking. So Romans 8.29 talks about, for those who he for 
whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many. So he, that is his plan. It's the roadmap. That's, that's the direction he has mapped out for us. Well, and, and there's two senses of that. Romans 8.29 sounds like there's a future confirm, confirmation into the image of his son. When we are with him forever in glory, we are conformed to his image in that final glorification. But prior to that is a degree by degree, glory by glory transformation into the image of his son now. So Lord, do this in me. Make me more like you today. Amen. That's my my passion and desire when I read, when I hear you read Romans 8.29. That's just thrilling. And that's the direction we went too. I mean, we talk about this this phrase, progressive sanctification. So there's the point we're justified. You know, that's Christ alone does that uh, by grace alone through faith. And so that initial justification happens. And then throughout this lifetime, we're making this sloth-like progression through becoming more and more Christ-like, or we're progressively sanctified, made more and more like Him, and made more holy. But you're right. I mean, that's, that's not finalized, right. this side of heaven. Right. So Nobody becomes sinless, this no. side of heaven. Yeah. In, in fact, we would want to say to the person listening right now who feels especially under the battle of sin, flee to Christ. Flee to repentance. Flee to grace. That's part of your sanctification. It's part of the work of God in your life right now as it is for all believers. Go to the Lord. If we confess our sins, He has faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love 1 John 1, 9. So what do we mean by the phrase progressive sanctification? Well, it means that we're not instantaneously conformed to be like Christ. We have the impulse. We have the Spirit who seals us, but we're not yet perfected. And so over time, we're made more into Christ-like character. We're made more and more towards our, our ultimate goal of holiness. Uh, and that makes sense. If we if there was a, somebody out there that claimed, all right, I've made it. I was, I was saved and not, now I'm, I was instantly, or even after a couple days or weeks or years, I, I'm, I, I'm perfect. They'd be so deceived. I mean, if you think about the letters of the Apostle Paul or Peter or John, there would be no point in any of those. If anyone had achieved perfection, there would be no corrective needs. It's not like we have this class of people that are perfect and then those other ones that need help. No, we're all sinners. You couldn't pray the Lord's Prayer. Mm -mm. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You wouldn't pray that in in authenticity if you didn't think you had any sin. Right. The, The idea of progressive doesn't mean there's never any backsliding or pauses or temptations to the right or the left. It means that in general there's progress, but it doesn't mean every single day is better than the day before, like the old hymn, every day with mm-hmm. Jesus is better than the day before. That isn't actually true. No, There are days in which it's very, very hard. Yeah. You had the line graph of Kevin Johnson or Brent Nelson's <laughs> life. You'd see these ups and downs. That's but right. yeah, there's this trend this, on this scatter yes. graph where we're going up and Thank up. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Other passages just leap off the the biblical page here. Other living passages of the living word just leap off the page. What are some of the ones that that were useful in the classes you presented it, Kevin? Just talking about how this is all afforded by Christ. Some of the passages that we referenced were First John two six. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way that he walks. So we're looking at that shaping into more Christ like character. So we mm-hmm. see that one that that the aim of the one that abides in Christ is to conduct themselves in the same way Christ did, leaning on him to do so, certainly. It's, our, in fact, our persistent attention to Christ that's the model of and the fuel for our gradual character transformation. 
Uh, and then you can see that throughout Scripture. Like, for example, Romans 15, 7, we're talking about, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So in that verse, not only do you see the aim that we're already um, uh, recalling over and over, glorifying God, but it also talks about the means. And that's a, a view that's so entranced by God himself that everything else is in reflection of that, that grace that we're receiving, that joy we're receiving. Um, you see that in other verses. We had like Ephesians 5.25, Colossians 3.13, Hebrews 12.1 and 2, where you see this kind of reaction. We see Christ do this, and then believer do that. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So again, this rest is kind of almost like an echo. Christ does this in our life, and we are the faint, faint echo back of, of forgiveness or welcoming or loving, like Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside uh, every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So husbands can only love their wives. We can only obey as Christ looms large in our vision, as we're looking upward to our Lord and Savior. That's so helpful to say it that way. The Bible says it that way, and it's so helpful that Greedom and you remind us of the Christian life as being one in which we look to Christ always, because the temptation, is it not, is to say, okay, I have to achieve this holiness, and I have to do it by strengthening my own willpower and effort to try to achieve this holiness that the Bible commands of me and maybe others expect of me. But that then just has this negative, almost like I'm trying to climb myself out of quicksand sort of negative outcome. Uh, it's, it's, it's maddening. It's frustrating. It's anger-producing. It's fear-triggering. Um, it's frustration uh, triggering. It's the idea that if I'm going to try to move forward in the Christian life in my own power and in my own strength, I'm I'm ultimately going to slide backwards. Absolutely. The Bible is not a self-help book. It's not a self-help book. <laughs> it but can but be. it's tempting when you're talking about Christian ethics to look at the Bible as a self-help book. Yeah. That's precisely how I think the temptation is for most folks just to say the Bible is a manual for life. I just have to look up my question on loneliness or on my, my, my issue of anger or my issue of X, Y, or Z, and the Bible will give me a quick pill to take, a verse to pop in, and off I go. That's the temptation. Hmm. I don't think that's the right way to look at the Bible. I think no. the Bible is meant to present a glorious picture of Christ, and like you said, looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, as the writer of Hebrews says so powerfully, uh, is the source of power and grace and joy within us to seek him and have him form his character in us. Right. And all of a sudden, I don't find myself wanting that same dark, ugly sin anymore. I don't want that bad habit or that worldly uh, allurement. What I want is more of what looks beautiful right in front of me, which is Christ. Right. Well, one helpful other verse that I think was worth highlighting was 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And that's reaffirming what we've been talking about. This is a Spirit-wrought, Christ-character-infusing transformation that comes as we behold our God. It's not something we stir up in ourselves, so we're not going to, all right, self, I'm going to stop lying today. You know, that might work for a season, but if it's in my own strength, it's simply not going to happen. No. 
In fact, you might go through a day without lying and then you have 20 other sins that have taken over its place. One might ask, as we're going through this, well, if we all are trying to fit into the same kind of shape of Christ, does that make me less individual? Does that make me less personality? Am I just becoming some sort of uh, puppet, as it were? That's a great and a resounding answer in the Bible is no, no. You, in fact, I think some authors have said, and rightly so, that you become the truer Brent Nelson, the truer Kevin Johnson, the true Sally Smith, wherever you might be out there. No, we're, we don't become a non-being. We become, as we become more Christ-like, become more of ourselves. Some of the virtues that we highlighted, some of the character traits that, that the Bible highlights, uh, for instance, from Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, some of the other uh, letters, epistles talk about hope or endurance, hospitality, courage, purity, generosity, humility, truthfulness, tenderheartedness. If you weren't overwhelmed yet, reasonableness, contentment, compassion, gratitude, sober-mindedness, godliness, mercy, holiness, and sympathy. And there's others, undoubtedly. That's right. Beyond those. It's a, it's a voluminous list, to be sure. Well, and 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 com- and maybe so voluminous that it would be completely uh, ridiculous to think I could produce any of these on my own effort. Right, right. The great, the great vastness of the of the list that you gave, even though it's incomplete, just casts us before the Lord and say, Lord, if this is what you require of me, you must supply. You must supply what you require. Amen. And that's the right impulse we ought to have: not to be overwhelmed, not to be defeated, and walk away. Yeah but realize how overwhelming the task is and let us lean more fully on him as a result of that. How do parents turn to their children whom they're raising with these things in mind? I think it's a great question. I think parents, you know you don't have perfect kids because you're not perfect, and so you're not certainly going to spawn perfect kids. (laughs) And so, at least I didn't. Um, I love my kids. But we don't want to have good, quote-unquote, good kids, little church automatons that just wander around saying verses and... Yet secretly a heart dwelling with all sorts of sin. What we want is right. character change. Right. So if you or I are just looking at their actions, but not looking what's behind the actions and pleading with God on our knees that he would do a work in their lives to instill virtuous, godly character, and that the byproduct would certainly be these actions, then we're not focusing our efforts right. It's just like, again, it's like the self-help book. If we don't want that for ourselves, we can't expect for our kids. We want character to be built up. So don't get frustrated, mom. Don't get frustrated, dad, when the kids are acting in line with their fallen nature. But see what's behind that. What is the sin? What is the idol that is drawing, eliciting this action? And then seek to instill character so that you should encourage, exhort, discipline, and model they need that modeling, mom and dad. And that and that that brings to mind lots of passages. I can think of Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 there, and there's lots of passages out of the Proverbs that come to mind there, and even out of the Psalms. I will forever remember the phrase, little church automatons. Good, good. I'm glad that <laughs> Never blessed Never heard of that before, and I now, <laughs> now have lodged that into my memory forever to remember that. I love it. You, you offered a quote from Grudem. This is great. Yeah, for sure. Any course on this is again a quote from Grudem. Any course on Christian ethics should aim not only at imparting greater understanding of right and wrong conduct, but also at personal transformation, so that each student will develop more Christ-like character through the course and will become more like Christ. So the aim is to glorify God. And the aim is to instill character in keeping with that at personal transformation, again by God's grace through right and right understanding of His Word. Well, we talked about character. We talked, secondly, about results, just borrowing, again, Grudem's terminology. What does he mean by 
the goal of results. So again, we're glorifying God. We're, we're thinking very practically about how to glorify God. That transforms our character. We've talked about that. Then Grudem talks about results. What does he mean by that? Where he focuses is this, and this is a relatively brief portion of his section, and it's talking really about the fruit. So the New Testament talks often about God's redeemed people, what they do is, is the fruit. The, um, and so when we look at that, looking, thinking of like John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears fruit, much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Or Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we often reference this to really talk about uh, salvation being by grace alone through faith alone, but for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of, of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the result of a great uh, grace-transformed life is good works. It isn't the reason we're justified, but it is a natural outworking. If you're receiving the sap of Jesus through that vine, then results, you're going to flower, you're going to bear fruit. So we've talked about the aim, the, the means of glorifying God is the aim at character, the aim at results. And I think we'll say for next time, the idea of behavior, the goal of behaving in a certain way. There's lots to talk about there because there are some pitfalls. There's some avoidances there. So let's save that for the next time. This has been tremendous. This has been life-giving and hopeful and joy-supplying. Kevin, thanks. Thanks for your time in studying Grudem and presenting it to the body. Really appreciate that. And, and thanks for taking time to, to stop in and have a, a podcast conversation. Would you close our time in prayer? Absolutely. Lord, as we have discussed, as we thought, meditated on your word today and about your transformative work in our lives, Lord, we just come humbly and thankfully to your throne, seeking mercy, receiving grace, asking you to transform in us character so that we would be shaped more and more to have character like Christ, to have fruit that is the outworking of the abiding in Christ so that you might be glorified, that we might be satisfied and full of such joy that others would ask, what is the joy that's within you? And kids would be transformed, adults would be transformed, and you would be honored. Lord, do this because we cannot on ourselves. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.